Welcome to Elevate, the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chester. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I am incredibly blessed, incredibly grateful to be sitting with one of the leading mindset and behavior experts in the world, John Azraf. Today, you're in for an absolute treat on today's episode, as you normally are. And I'm going to stack on top of that today because today's going to be epic. I'm just throwing that out there. It's going to be absolutely insane. So go ahead and get your notebooks out. And be ready to share this episode because it's going to blow your mind. I have no doubt about this. So I'm super thankful to be sitting here with you today. And I want to just ask you the question that I always ask. Are you ready to take it to another level? There is absolutely zero doubt in my mind. Today is the day. I want to welcome you back to the show where we sit down for mind-expanding conversations with influential authorities in real estate, as well as top experts in, in, in other industries and disciplines. And obviously, we've got best of both worlds today in John Azraf, who has a background in real estate and who will absolutely expand your mind. And so that's what we're going to do today. And it is our mission to identify and apply how the best of the best raise the bar personally and professionally to achieve greatness in real estate and beyond. We will distill the mindset, the habits, routine, systems, the tools, the strategies, and so much more from an individual like John Azraf, who is absolutely continuing to elevate to a life without limits so that you can apply that yourself so that you can elevate to a life without limits as well. What does that mean? You might ask, you say, Hey, wait a minute. What are you talking about? Elevate to a life without limits. You know what? You can do anything you want in your life. And it all starts within your mind. It all starts within your habits, your beliefs, your actions, your massive actions, and who do you actually become as an individual? Who do you become as a performer? You know, we're not here to be mediocre. We're not here to be average. We're here to be uncommon, to be the best of the best, to be high performers, and to be excellent, extraordinary, you know, world shakers, legends, icons. That we're, that's what we're talking about here on Elevate. This is a masterclass for leaders and those looking to achieve uncommon results and purposeful outcomes through personal growth, real estate investing, other ventures, and most importantly, and ultimately in their lives. If you appreciate what we are doing on the show, we would appreciate if you subscribed and you know, you're know you ready to listen to us uh, ongoing because we're doing big things. And I'm super, super grateful for the team. Shout out to the Elevate Nation team. Shout out to the Elevate Nation community. If you want to engage further with the community, we invite you to join us on Facebook. We've got a community page where you can learn more, you can grow, you can be a part of the tribe. And you can network with other people and build relationships and expand the discussion. Your mind expands when you listen, but it also expands further when you share and when you continue the discussion. So be a part of our Facebook community there. Also visit elevatepod.com. We've got a ton of resources there, a ton of things for you to engage in. And we're all about giving. We're about growing and we're about abundance. We're about more. You know, we can, we can become more, we can give more, and there's a greater future for everybody in the process. So with all that said, I want to thank you again for being here. I want to thank you again for listening. And I want to introduce you to Mr. John Azraf. If you've been living under a rock, let me explain to you who John Azraf is. And I just mentioned it. He is one of the leading mindset and behavior experts in the world. He's appeared numerous times on Larry King Live, Anderson Cooper, The Ellen DeGeneres Show, all the top podcasts. I mean, if you look out there, you know, you've heard him on Tom Bilyeu, you know, Impact Theory, we hear him on Lewis Howes, you know, School of Greatness. I mean, 
Ed Milet's show. I mean, these are great, amazing podcasts, and we're super grateful to have him on Elevate today. His latest best-selling book, by the way, he's a multiple New York Times best-selling author. His latest best-selling book is Inner Size, which is the new science to unlock your brain's hidden power. It helps individuals recognize and real release the mental and emotional blocks that prevents them from achieving their biggest goals and dreams. Also further to that, John has built five multi-million dollar companies. He's written two, two New York Times best-selling books, and he's been featured in eight movies. I mean, this guy is multifaceted, he's multidimensional, so we're going to apply that ourselves uh, for Elevate Nation today, so super pumped about that, including, by the way, I'm about to drop the mic. He was included in the blockbuster hit, The Secret, and The Quest for Success with Richard Branson and the Dalai Lama. So, yeah, I mean, this guy's he's, he's decent. He knows what he's doing. Uh, I don't know. Just throwing that out there. Today, he is the founder and CEO of NeuroGym, a company dedicated to using the most advanced technologies and evidence-based brain training methods to help individuals unleash their fullest potential and maximize their results. I mean, my goodness, I could go on and on and on. I mean, this, this is an individual who you definitely want to place your full attention on today, get your notebook out, be ready to absolutely change your life. And with all that said, I want to introduce you to John Azaraf, and I want to welcome you to enjoy this amazing discussion with this world shaker, this legend, this icon. John, welcome to the show, sir. How are you? I'm doing great, Tyler. How are you? doing fantastic and uh, love your smile you make me feel good make me feel happy so I appreciate that and really just grateful to have you on the show today you know tell us a little bit more about yourself behind the bio you know a lot of people know you know John Azraf, the public figure but tell us a little bit more about who is John as a man sure uh, probably most proud of is my two sons Keenan and Noah uh, right uh, right there with being proud is uh being happily married to my life partner, uh, Maria. We've been together for 21 years, uh, married for 15, and it's just been magical. Um, brother, sister, you know, uh, dad's still alive. Mom, mom passed, unfortunately, because of coronavirus. Um, and uh, so that was, uh, that was a challenge, challenging part this year. And, um, and uh, all around, good guy now, but a horrible little terror when I was uh, a teen uh, trying to figure out who I was and what I was and got involved with uh, the law doing uh, a lot of illegal things like selling drugs yes using drugs breaking in entries counterfeit money I mean uh, I was a I was a little hoodlum at 15 16 17 and uh, back then I knew that my life was either going to end up uh, at that time uh, at the morgue or in jail one of the two and fortunately, fortunately for me, I, uh, I met a gentleman and uh, uh, my brother introduced me to this one man with one question and one answer. My life changed. Talk to me about that. I mean, how did that happen? And then also, I'd love to even further to that. I mean, do you believe that the way that you were as a child served you to a certain capacity to have this upbringing and this perspective or is there anything else that you'd say to that? Oh, that it served me. Um, well, I, at the time, you know, it got me into a lot of trouble. At the time, I didn't feel good about myself. And so I had this, um, you know, macho 
face on the outside, but deep insecurities on the inside. Uh, a lot of limiting beliefs, a lot of insecurities. I didn't think I was smart enough. I didn't think I was good enough. Got kicked out of school so many times. Uh, left at grade 11, finally. <clears throat> uh, cheated to get out of uh, grade 11 on my final exam. And um, what I didn't know then that I know now is um, when I was a, a, a young boy, five years old, a happy kid, you know, neighborhood in Israel that I, I grew up in was great, family every day, beach every day. Um, when I moved from Israel to Montreal at five and a half, I was in kindergarten in Israel, went to grade one when I got to Montreal. And for the first two years of my life, I was in a group of kids with, you know, 50 kids in a classroom, which was normal back there in Montreal. Um, everybody was uh, either, you know, they spoke English or they spoke French. And then there were the immigrants like me who were looking at each other or looking up at the wall, you know, and wondering what the F are we doing here? And I felt two years behind right off the bat. I didn't understand the language and um, didn't fit in. And uh, so I thought I was stupid for most of my, you know, grade school. It wasn't until grade seven, one teacher, uh, Eddie Pollock, who, um, who took the time to show me that I was actually not that stupid. And um, he took the time to teach and to, to really get me caught up. But by that time, I, was, I already had some self-image issues. And, um, and so I just you know, I got involved with a group of kids who were adept at shoplifting and adept at doing things that were illegal. So I could make a little bit of money in my pocket. And you know, I started working at the local uh, pharmacy, cleaning the floors and the counters, working at a local grocery store, delivering groceries on bike and working um, at, a, at a local bakery and working at a local dry cleaners, pressing clothes at 12, 13, 14 years old, just so I can help my uh, family with some money. I can have a little bit of money in my pocket. Uh, so all that I think was great. Uh, and because of being so insecure, and doing the things that I did as a kid, um, I got into trouble. My brother said, hey, listen, man, you're, you're going to die or go to jail. Uh, you got to do something. And I knew he was right. I mean, I knew he was right. It's like you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out that you're, you, know, you're, you can't keep going to the detention centers. And, um, and so he introduced me to this one guy who was a very successful real estate entrepreneur. <clears throat> he at the time, his name is Mr. Brown, at the time he had – seven real estate offices, maybe I think five, six, seven hundred agents, um, making millions and millions of dollars a year, a philanthropist, just a beautiful human being. And my brother arranged for me to have lunch with him. So I took the train from Montreal, where I lived, to Toronto. And I got there like 11 o'clock in the morning. My brother picked me up at the train station, went to lunch, and there's this uh, white-haired man uh, in shape, dressed to the nines, um, very, very, very uh, gentle and kind, and we sat down and we ordered some lunch. And um, uh, he's asked me, like, why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you getting in trouble? Blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, fuck, my dad asked me this stuff all the time. You know, I don't want to hear this. Um, and then he asked me, like what, do you, like, what do you want? Like, what do you want to achieve? I'm like, listen, I'd like to get a better paying job because I was making a buck 65 at the shipping department. Uh, I'd like to buy a car. I mean, nice, you know, I'm like 19. I'd like to move out of my parents' house because, you know, they're not happily married and it's not fun in there. And he goes, well, that's all basic stuff. That's what every 19 and 20 and 25-year-old want. What do you want more than that? And I said, well, I don't know. 
He says, well, can you do me a favor? I said, sure. And he uh, gave me this document. It's actually about five, six pages. And it was the, and this is going to age me a little bit, right? It was the 1980 goal setting guide. You weren't even born. <laughs> it was 40 a few years ago. 40 years, 40 years ago. So um, I'll be 59. So 40 years ago. So the first question, first question on this document, I'm 19. First question is, what age do you want to retire at? I'm like, what do you mean retire? I want to start working. Forget about retiring. <laughs> Second question, uh, how much net worth do you want to have? And, and I remember looking at that question and I said to him, I said, excuse me, Mr. Brown, um, what's net worth? <laughs> Um, third question, you know, what kind of lifestyle do you want? That was easy. You know, Mercedes, house, jets, yachts, etc. And I answered a whole bunch of these questions, gave him the document. And he, he looked at it and uh, he goes, hey, these are some pretty vivid goals and dreams you have. Um, he said, I'm going to ask you a question. Oh, wait, before that, he asked me, where did you get these ideas? I said, well, there's a TV show called Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. <laughs> and, um, and I'd like to have a life like that. And he goes, oh, great. That's a good dream. He said, I'm going to ask you one question. And the answer to this one question will determine whether you get to um, retire at age 45. And at that time, I wrote down, I want to, have, I want to retire with $3 million. <laughs> uh, I want to live a great lifestyle, traveling first class, taking care of my parents, giving some money to charity, Italian clothes, blah, 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 blah. He said, I'm going to ask you one question. The answer to that question will determine whether that becomes your reality or that remains your fantasy. I'm like, one question is going to determine whether I have this or just, you know, is some imagination in my, in my head. And I said, oh, okay. So he says to me, are you interested in achieving this vision and these goals or are you committed? And so I listened to him and I was like, interested, committed, interested, committed. <laughs> Um, and I said, Mr. Brown, what's the difference? And he said, well, son, if you're interested, you'll do what's easy and convenient. If you're interested, you'll keep using the fact that you weren't good in school and you weren't smart enough and not good enough to control your thinking and your behaviors. If you're interested, you'll do the easy stuff that everybody wants to do and none of the hard stuff that very few people want to do. He said, if you're committed, you'll upgrade your knowledge and your skills. If you're committed, you'll let go of your stories, your reasons, your excuses, and your beliefs of why you can't. If you're committed, you'll develop the habits of a man that can achieve every one of those goals. And every one of those achievements is because I've done that and way more than that. And then he, he leaned into me. He says, so are you interested or are you committed? And I was like, wow, I mean, this, this is serious shit. And so out of my mouth, Tyler, I, I don't know why, but out of my mouth said, well, well, I'm committed. And he was in a very calm way. He put his hand in front of me and he says, in that case, son, I will be your mentor. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital, a real estate investment firm formed by myself and my partner, Brian Flaherty, where we invest in multifamily real estate communities across the Southeast United States. If you'd like to learn more about our approach, our mission, our acquisition criteria, and how you can learn more about future opportunities, visit cfcapllc.com. Again, that's cfcapllc.com. And I go, wow, that, that's great. What's a mentor? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. I was 19, right? 
And so he says, it's somebody who will guide you and coach you and train you on what to do and what not to do and how to do stuff. And I go, I mean, great. I mean, the, the, great. I said, but I, I live in Montreal. He says, well, the first thing that has to happen is I need you to move to Toronto. Mm. And I go, oh, I live in Montreal. I live with my parents. don't have a car. I, I can't move to Toronto. I don't have a job here. I don't have, I've got $60 in the bank. He goes, stop. Here's your story and your excuse already. I go, but it's true. (laughs) I'm just a story. It's true. I don't have, I got 50, 60 bucks in my bank. I make a buck 65 an hour. He says, stop. Are you interested? Are you committed to your goals and dreams? I said, well, I just said I'm committed, but he said, no buts. I said, fine, I'll I'll move to Toronto. And, uh, And I had no idea how. And my brother said, well, listen, bro, you can live with me for three months because my brother was living there uh, or four months and, and you can get started here. I said, well, great. Okay, well, how am I going to live? And he said, we'll figure it out. So then Mr. Brown says, great. And, and this, these are exact dates. And I'll tell you why the dates are so important. Um, he said, well, great. Now that you're moving to Toronto, there is a real estate course that starts on May the 5th. You have to go to school for five weeks, pass a test, you get your real estate license, then you can come work in my company. I said, oh, come on. You want me to go back to school? I freaking <laughs> left at grade 11. I hate school. I failed English. I failed math. I, they, they kicked me out, and I was happy to leave. Uh, <laughs> school is just not for me. He goes, stop. He says, there you go again. You're already telling me about your past. You're already telling me you don't like school. You're telling me all these stories and reasons or excuses. You don't even know that you're doing it. I, I know, Mr. Brown, but I, I hate school. He says, well, that's because you didn't have a big enough reason why to go to school. But now I'm giving you a big enough reason why. He says, are you interested? Are you committed? I don't want to keep coming back to this. So, you know, I said, I'm, oh, I'm committed, but I only have $60 in my pocket. He says, listen, your first lesson is this. First, you make the decision. Then you figure out how. Mm-hmm. First, you make the decision. Then you figure out how. I said, uh, okay, uh, great. Uh, I'll move to Toronto. <clears throat> I'll enroll in this real estate school. And who knows, maybe I'll find 500 bucks, which is what he told me the course was. And uh, long story short, Tyler, uh, went back to Montreal, uh, told my parents I'm moving to Toronto. (laughs) They're like, for what? Uh, To get into real estate, they go, you in real estate, you're 19 years old. Like, who's going to buy real estate from you? You you, you can't even wipe your own ass. You still need diapers, basically. And um, my sister lent me like a hundred bucks. My father lent me like 300 bucks. I had 60 bucks. My brother lent me the rest, signed up for the real estate school, May 5th, 1980, enrolled, studied my ass off for five weeks with Mr. Brown's help. June 20th, I got my real estate certificate. I was one of the proudest people on earth. Do you know why? To get out of high school, grade 11, one of my friends, Ted, helped me cheat on the final exam. And he had helped me cheat on many other exams during the year, different classes that he was in with me. And this was the first test I had passed on my own. That was the first time I really felt proud and maybe I wasn't so stupid after all. That's awesome, man. Thank you so much for that story. You know, one thing I find so interesting about the story is when you went back to talk to your parents and tell them what you were doing and they said, come on, you can't do that. Like who's going to buy, who's going to buy a house from you? You're 19 years old. It's really interesting to me because it, it, it illustrates a bit of where we get our stories from, right? From our environment, from our upbringing. Could you talk a little bit more about limiting beliefs and where those maybe things that you've uncovered through your studies and through your work now, where they come from? 
Sure. I mean, you listen, you know, I, I didn't do well in school. So they're, they're trying to protect me because you don't do well in school. You, you, that's just not you. The evidence is, is real. Right. And so they had this limiting belief about me because of my results. Um, then my environment reinforced those limiting beliefs. And I had those limiting beliefs. I was the only thing I was good. I was gym. You know, I was good at gym class. I was like excelled in gym class. I can climb up the rope faster. I could do more push-ups. I could do more of this, more of that. But everything else was like, oh my gosh, who fails English in grade six and seven? You know, um, so, you know, my father was a cab driver, worked really, really, really hard. And I saw him working really, 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 really hard for very, 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 very little. So I had this idea in my head that working hard is not where it's at. So that I knew uh, because, you know, a lot of people work hard and don't, don't do well. My mother worked as a seamstress uh, in a local department store, and their life was limited. Their life was limited. My mother went to grade three. My father went to grade five before they had to go to work. And they believed that if you didn't go to college, then you're going to be limited in what you do. That was their paradigm. That's what I believed. That's what I was told in school. Um, and so here I am working in the shipping department, you know, um, cheated to get out of high school. Don't feel smart enough. Don't feel good enough. Uh, I'm, I'm too young to get into real estate. You know, real estate. Who, who is going to buy a house from a 19-year-old? Who is going to sell a house through a 19-year-old? And um, so all of these limiting beliefs that um, I was born into because of my parents' scenario. So they had limiting beliefs, and so they passed on those limiting beliefs to me. They had scarcity mindset, so they initially passed a scarcity mindset to me. In order, in, in order to have abundance, I thought I had to do things illegally uh, to have abundance. So that's just what I thought, because that's what the other kids in my neighborhood did as well, because that's the neighborhood we lived in, and some of us, some of us did that. Um, and so the environment plays a, a huge role in your limiting beliefs, uh, and if we're not taught to um, develop our mindset. If we're not taught to reinforce, you know, a positive mindset, if we're not taught to reinforce a mindset of growth and a mindset of possibilities and probabilities, then by default, we're developing a limited mindset. And when we're dealing with, I always have my plastic brain on the table, we're dealing with a trillion dollar biocomputer. You know, and it's not, it's way more than a trillion dollars, but there's no user's manual for it. Um, and so, you know, when Mr. Brown sat me down the first day at work and he had me look at the goals that I had set and rewrite them clear with more precision uh, with the vision and the goals and what I would achieve them by, um, that was the first part of him showing me that I need to focus on some goals, whether I knew how to achieve them or not. And then he asked me, what do you need to believe in order to achieve those goals? First thing I wrote, I have to believe that I'm smart enough because I didn't believe I was smart. I have to believe that I'm worthy of these goals because I didn't believe I was worthy of them. I have to believe that I deserve these goals. So I wrote these goals. I'm smart enough. I'm worthy enough to achieve these goals. Um, he taught me the, the power of affirmations and declarations, but not just um, writing them out and stick them in your drawer. Every day when I came into the office, every day, the first thing that I did and a couple of the other young agents, June 20th, 1980, uh, was we would look at our vision and our goals 
and then we would read our affirmations out loud. It was so fucking embarrassing to read these, I am so worthy and I'm so smart. And it's like part of my brain is going, oh, no, you're not. You know, um, but what he also shared with me was that spaced repetition builds the pattern. And then once you build the pattern, the pattern then builds you. And so I started to um, read my goals every day. I started to visualize my goals every day. I started to emotionalize them as if it was true, like I was a Hollywood actor pretending. And all of a sudden, in doing that, plus learning a script, specifically a cold calling script. So it is, um, you know, 2020 now. This is 40 years ago. First script I ever learned was, hi, this is John Asraf with Alan Brown Real Estate. We have somebody who's looking to buy a home in the neighborhood. Have you thought about making a move? If they said yes, I had the next script. If they said no, I had the next script. And um, in doing that, cold calling 100 people a day, uh, I made $31,000 when I was 19. $6,000 more than my father. Now, that also means that Alan Brown made $31,000 because I was on a 50-50 split. And in year two, in addition to my visualization and my affirmations and my emotionalization, he said, I'm going to give you a different script. This one is for sale by owners. This is for people who already want to sell their home. And so the script was, hi, this is John Nassif. I noticed that you are trying to sell your home privately. If we have somebody that is looking to buy a home in the neighborhood, would you be willing to work out a deal with me where I bring my buyers over to you? We'll figure out a fair commission. So instead of trying to get them to list with me, all I was trying to do is get in the door. I learned another script. That script helped me make $150,000 at 20 years old. Wow. So I didn't just learn the inner game. I learned the outer game of precision. And in my case, I was in sales, right? That was commission only. You eat what you kill. So what Mr. Brown did for me back then, and this has been a lifelong study now for 40 years, is he taught me how to retrain my brain. My brain had been trained to have limiting beliefs and uh, limiting stories and excuses and reasons and meanings that I gave things that just weren't true. But I believed they were true because I trust my mother and father. I trust their friends. I trust my aunts and uncles. That was my environment. I grew up in a wonderful, loving environment that had very limited thinking and very limited skills and very limited. They had goals, there were the hopes and dreams. If we win the lottery, we could live that way. And all the other people, like Mr. Brown's friends, they busted their ass to live that way. You know, and so I got this, um, you know, um, one of my friends, Keith Cunningham, was the rich dad in the Rich Dad, Poor Dad series. Mm -hmm. So he was like Robert Kiyosaki's friend. And so, you know, Alan Brown was kind of like my rich dad, and my dad was my poor dad. <laughs> and, uh, you know, to this day, my father is 90 years old in a, in a couple of weeks. He's still, you know, you know, if, if he sees me like, you know, on camera when he calls me every day, why are the lights on in front of you? <laughs> Turn the lights off. I said, Dad, it's okay. We can afford the lights. Don't worry. You know, so even today, he hasn't worked in, I don't know, 50 years we retired him. Uh, you know, he hasn't worked. He's still worrying about my lights in my house, <laughs> you know? It's so, so interesting. 
Well, you know, we, we all come, most of us come up from that, that background. And I find it to be so fascinating that we all have to break free of that at some point. And you've got to gain this insight. You've got to gain this wisdom. You know, one thing that I'm so fascinated with is the subconscious mind. And I'd be curious to know, I mean, what would you tell your younger self about the subconscious mind and what has that meant for you looking back? Um, there was something I wanted to just share. If you, if you think about when our parents and grandparents were born, right? If you think about, you know, the World War I, World War II, right? Great Depression, where scarcity was, was crazy. And, you know, millions of people living in subways, for example, in London, right? Like, think about that. If you came from Europe and came over to America and you, you know, lived in this era of, of at any minute, you know, your life can change. And by the millions, um, you're going to have this scarcity or security mindset. And so your paradigm and how you're going to operate in the world uh, to create security and then to teach your children how to create security just in case uh, requires a very different level of thinking than abundance thinking. Um, so the subconscious, I was fortunate. Um, at 19, I started to retrain my subconscious mind. So um, if, if, if you were to uh, hop onto my iTunes over here, you would hear my goals on here, my prayers. You would hear a bunch here. Now, back in 19, uh, back in, I'm sorry, not 19, uh, 1980, um, all of the um, scripts that Mr. Brown gave me in writing I recorded them on my cassette tapes. Do you know what a cassette tape is? I do. <laughs> I can record them on a cassette tape and I would listen to them over and 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 over again. So I'd know the script. Why do you think I know the script 40 years later? It's just 40 years ago I haven't used those scripts. Mm. I repeated them so much then and the, you can't give me any objection. I'll, I'll tell you the answer off the, like that. Not because I had that many people ask me those things, is because I trained my brain to have the pattern. So for 40 years, I've been training my brain. So there's athletes that train their bodies, um, you know, and they do exercise for that. And if you see behind me, my newest book is called Inner Size, right? I train my brain. I train, you know, I help athletes train their brains, CEOs train their brains, entrepreneurs train their brains, homemakers train their brains with belief patterns, habitual patterns, paradigms that are empowering so they can achieve their goals faster and easier than before. So they don't have the mental or emotional obstacles that are in their way. And so I started doing it, you know, in 19, when I was 23, I went around the world from, um, for 14 months from the age of 22 to 23, September 82 to November 83. And when I came back, I worked so hard to like make back the money that I just spent traveling around the world. I spent $72,000 in 14 months traveling around the world. And I was working so hard, I ended up with severe ulcerative colitis. And ulcerative colitis is ulcers in your colon, and mine were bleeding ulcers. And so it was, I mean, so painful and so uncomfortable. And um, then I said, uh, well, it's not that I said, I watched a TV show and they were talking about psychoneuroimmunology. Back then, there's a big word, new word back then, just mind-body connection. And the doctor said, well, listen, if you think about your disease, you uh, expand your disease. If you think about health, you know, 
then you're in the state of at ease. So I started to um, look at the cause of the colitis. And number one reason was stress. Number two could be because I was probably partying too hard. Uh, number three, uh, you know, I wasn't exercising. Uh, number four, I probably wasn't eating great. And so I said, okay, let's see if this psychoneuroimmune shit works. Um, so I said, I'm going to get a perfect diet. I'm going to start to exercise. I'm going to do this thing called uh, meditation and visualization. And we'll see what happens. Now, for over a year, I was on 25 pills a day called uh, salazapyrin pills, which is an anti-inflammatory sulfate to reduce the inflammation in my colon. Uh, I was doing two betanosol enemas a day, morning at night, which is cortisone in your rectum. I was doing a sigmoidoscopy once a month, which means I have to go to the hospital for them to insert a tube to see all the way as far as they can up my colon from the wrong side to see how bad the colitis was, how much inflammation there was. And the last session that I had with Dr. Wu, who was my doctor, um, was, John, if this doesn't get better, we're going to have to remove part of your colon. Mm. I'm like, what? Are you freaking kidding? What do you mean you have to remove part of my colon? He says, it's getting really bad. It's precancerous. And I'm like, holy shit. No pun intended. And, um, and so then I saw this, this TV show, and I just got serious. And five weeks later, I have a health affirmation. My body and all its organs were created by the infinite intelligence of my subconscious mind. It created all my muscles, bones, tissues, and organs. It knows how to heal me. It knows how to make me perfectly whole right now. Magnificent are the creative forces that lie within me. I am now perfectly healthy. It's, I have it written down over there. I listen to it almost every single day. I teach it to people all over the world. And by doing just a little bit of this, Five weeks later, all symptoms gone. Mm. Gone. No more pills. No more enemas. No more sigmoidoscopies. And when I went to the doctor for the final sigmoidoscopy, he says, oh, everything's, every, everything's healed. Um, I want you still on the pills. <laughs> and I said to Dr. Wu, I said, you don't get this. I fixed the cause. You're wanting to treat the symptom." I've not been on any medication for the last 40 years. That's incredible. So when we talk about the power of the subconscious mind, um, I know a little bit about it. I helped, you know, grow my company to four and a half billion a year in sales and my salespeople uh, increased their, their incomes, their average income. I had um, 1,200 salespeople, 1,200 salespeople, average income before retraining brain, uh, 38,000 a year. Uh, two years later, retraining the brain, 128,000 bucks a year. Uh, work on the inner game, more than you work on the outer game, uh, you can achieve uh, success in every area of your life. Health, wealth, relationships, career, business, finances, doesn't make a difference. Subconscious mm -hmm. is the power center. It's amazing. It is, it's, it's a beautiful thing too. And I love that you say you train the inner game more than the outer game, but you also don't neglect the outer game. One thing that, that I know that you talk about is Goya, get off your ass, right? And you were talking about the scripts. It's like, look, we've got to train within, but we've also got to be prepared to show up. And, yeah. you know, so the, the inner training allows you to show up. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Well, you know, the law of Goya, you know, and the law of attraction that a lot of people think is, uh, you know, think, believe, and you'll achieve is just a bunch of bullshit. Um, it's uh, think, believe, get off your ass, and do the right thing in the right order at the right time, and you'll achieve. 
achieve. Uh, you can be very, very, very busy doing the wrong things and successfully elude you. Um, on my desk and all over my office, I have a bunch of weak excuses. Um, this one is, uh, you know, take you 24 hours if you're good uh, to do this. And I have a bunch of two by two, three by three, four by four, five by five, six by six, seven by sevens there. And um, for the average person who takes even a two by two Rubik's cube, I will bet $1,000 with 100 people that they can't sit there for an hour and solve it. Two by two. And I'll probably lose three or maybe two out of 100. I'll make 97 uh, out of 100 bets uh, come in my favor. How? Uh, a Rubik's Cube is based on algorithms, right? So you need to know which colors to get on the top first or on the, on the top first and then what happens to the bottom. And if you learn seven moves for a two-by-two, two, you can solve it in, in seconds. But if you don't learn the seven algorithms, you can spend 70 days trying to figure it out. And there's so many combinations to do it. So whenever we're trying to solve a health issue, relationship issue, money issue, business issue, we already know the algorithm search is about anything that anybody listening to you and, me, you and me right now wants to achieve. The how-to is the easiest freaking part of the equation. Now, if you don't know the how-to, then you're going to be trying to figure it out. You're going to be sitting there with your Rubik's Cube trying to figure it out instead of getting the damn algorithm and just doing the algorithm. Now, in addition to having the algorithm, the knowledge and the skills, then you've got to have, you know, your self-image aligned so you don't sabotage yourself. You have to manage your emotions, specifically the ones around fear. And then you have to have beliefs that allow you to put your foot on the gas instead of your foot on the brake. And so when you have the knowledge and the skills with the right beliefs, with the right self-image, and you know how to manage emotions because as we activate different levels of success that we want to achieve, we also activate what I call as the Frankenstein part of our brain, which wants to protect us just in case there's real or imagined uh, danger there. Uh, whether there's something we, we can lose money, we can get hurt physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, financially, whatever the case might be. So there's an, a, a, a mechanism that's been evolving for billions of years that's there to protect you in nanoseconds it triggers. And so if you don't understand how it works, you know, that's like having, you know, whatever your favorite car is in the driveway that you love, the, the most amazing car you've ever had, and you, you don't know how to turn on the ignition, you don't know how to drive it. Well, you have the most powerful tool in the known universe, your brain. Most people don't know the user's manual. And so when I wrote my book, Inner Size, it was to give people the user's manual for their brain, but also... Uh, inner size is the equivalent of strengthening your core, what I call our neuromuscles. So beliefs are neuromuscles. Habits are neuromuscles. Managing your emotions are neuromuscles. So are you strong or weak? Resiliency, uh, adaptationism. Uh, these are all neuromuscles that you can develop. But if you don't, if you don't exercise, don't expect to get stronger. Exercise, you're going to get stronger. So that's the, the way I've been looking at this. And I just have been fascinated uh, with taking complex stuff and making it simple so other people can use it. Are you someone who's seriously looking to elevate your life, your business, your real estate portfolio, your cash flow, your deal opportunities, your access to opportunities, your network this year? Well, if that's you, then I invite you to visit coachwithtyler.com because I'm currently opening up a few coaching spots for people like you who want to close the gap from where you are to where you want to be. And really, 
you know, expand that beyond your wildest dreams and explode your business, explode your deal opportunities, explode your vision for what you're looking to create. If that's you, I invite you to visit coachwithtyler.com. I really have to tell you that this is not for everyone. This is only for those who are decisive. They're committed. They're willing to do whatever it takes. They're willing to invest time, energy, and resources into themselves to get to where they want to be and to live a life without limits, to elevate to a life without limits, which is really what we're all about on this show. If that is you, again, I invite you to visit coachwithtyler.com. Again, that's coachwithtyler.com. It's amazing. And I think that managing fear is almost one of the greatest superpowers that human beings can really tap into. And, you know, what you're talking about, all of these different factors as far as the inner work is really, you know, habitual, right? It's about developing those habits. So how can you be conscious about creating empowering habits and how have you used that in your life? Um, so first and foremost, everybody is already 100% disciplined to their habits. So we weren't born with any habits. We weren't born with any beliefs. We weren't born with any ideas if something was good or bad or whether we were worthy or not. None, zero. Which means that they got developed in our brain as in the form of uh, neural connections or patterns. So then the neural connections and patterns that are repeated move from conscious effort to subconscious patterns in the striatum specifically and they activate either the fear center or the uh, or the motivational center and that's we're getting a little detailed there so let's say you want to develop any pattern um what's the simplest part of that pattern what's the simplest part let's say you want to develop a pattern i want to drink more water might develop a habit of drinking more water uh, why not just start by putting a glass on your desk with water on it every day? <laughs> How about that? Right? So first and foremost, to develop a pattern, uh, reduce it to the ridiculously small first. So in the brain, um, there's, a, uh, there's, there's a saying, uh, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Mm. Right, so first do something slowly and just a little bit, and then add intensity and complexity. So what most people do, I wanna get in shape, I'm gonna exercise for an hour today, and I'm gonna do it tomorrow and do it the next day, and your brain goes, hold on, hold on a second. Hold on. Um, you're using up way more energy than I want you to because the third law of the brain is conservation of energy, and you're using more. So I'm gonna start giving you rationalizations or getting you to tell yourself, rationalize why you should stop, and you're too tired, you're gonna eat that pizza and those potato chips and have an extra four beers today. Uh, <laughs> I don't wanna exercise, I, I want you to sit on the sofa. So the first law of developing a habit is to start a habit really, really small. So somebody wants to exercise. Uh, when my clients want to exercise, I don't care if you're um, a CEO, it makes no difference. Um, one minute to three minutes every day. Can you commit to that? So first I want to get rid of the neural and emotional tension and reduce it to the ridiculous so we don't have that fear center or the stress center activate. Um, once I can get you to commit to doing something for one minute or three minutes or five minutes, uh, so just one week, uh, one day or one week. Uh, and so with all of my private clients at seven o'clock every night, uh, they text me, I did my blank. So I create some accountability. So minimal behavior plus accountability, uh, times repetition. So first thing we do is seven days and to seven days. 
Um, do you think you just built a confidence muscle that you said you're going to do something and you actually followed through? Yeah, freaking feel great. Can I increase the time? Uh, sure. What do you think is like a reasonable amount of time? Can, can we, you know, do five minutes? Yeah, five minutes. Five minutes a day, next seven days, text me by seven o'clock. Now, if I can get you to do that for a hundred days, I can develop a habit. It takes from a scientific perspective, Tyler, 66 days to 365 days to develop a neural pattern that goes from conscious effort to be part of what we call as the automatic self or the default mode network. So a habit is something you automatically default to in good times and especially in times of stress. So I want to reset the default mode network, right? So if you think about, uh, I have a thermostat outside my home office here. I go, uh, and I don't have voice activation. Or I go, hey, temperature change. <laughs> hey, psst, temperature change. Um, it's not geared to work that way. Um, your brain isn't geared to work that way either. Yes, we can use some language patterns. Uh, yes, we can use some visualization patterns. Yes, we can use some emotional patterns. And yes, we can use behavioral patterns to activate also. So if I can do the visualization and emotionalization sessions for one or two minutes, before I do the behavior, now I'm integrating a couple different key areas of our brain. And so that's how you develop a habit. Reduce it to the ridiculous consistency and accountability. John, I tell you what, I mean, it's absolutely transformative and I don't know about you, but I want to default to high performance. So what can I do to use this simple process and create what I want? How can I use this trillion dollar value brain that I have within my body? It's such a blessing and be able to consciously direct it. So thank you so much for all of that and, and everything that you share with us today that you have shared with us. And I want to be super respectful of your time. I want to go into our rapid fire section and get you on your way because you've got some you've got some world to shake. You've got some lives to continue to change. So we're going to talk about the rare air questionnaire just briefly here. It's all about being uncommon. It's about defaulting to high performance. It's about everything that we've talked about today. John, being a prolific author yourself, I'm just curious to know, if you had to point to two or three of the most impactful books that you've read over the past few years, what would those be? Oh, my goodness. Um, it, that's a real hard question for me because I'm reading 10 at any given time. I understand. <laughs> uh, so it, it really just depends. You know, Isaacson, Albert Einstein and Isaacson, um, you know, fascinating. Um, uh, what's the, uh, the one? Um, yeah, it, 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 I'm having a, I'm drawing a blank on. No problem. Uh, if you saw upstairs uh, in, my, in my little uh, den for reading, there, there's so many of them. Uh, I know to, to, to think of just one. Well, and the, what you're actually illustrating for us is that leaders are readers. And so thank you again for that. And I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Isaacson is such an amazing author. Uh, one of my favorites was Ben Franklin, the biography is just absolutely amazing. And it was so great to learn more about him and how he yeah, was. Da Vinci, a phenomenal. Da Vinci. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, when we moved from our, our other home to where I am now, I had a library with uh, 
3,500 or 4,000 books and I gave all but about a hundred away. Wow. The library was great. It was beautiful. But I realized, you know, it's like art where I could be giving this knowledge away to others. And so I asked friends of mine, uh, whoever wants to come and get books because they'll read them, come and get them. And it was really interesting how, how many people, you know, it was a bunch came and then how many people like, well, can you send them to me? <laughs> like, are you fucking kidding me? Like seriously, come on! Carry away my ladder, and you still you're gonna be lazy to go, come and get the wisdom in them. <laughs> well, next time you do that, let me know. I will I will be there, my friend. That's that's amazing, John. What is outside of what we've already talked about today? I mean, is there any else any any other parts of wisdom that you say you elevate your life on a daily basis through? Yeah, rituals. So um, I have rituals in the morning, rituals at night. So it's kind of like my bookends for the day. And um, my day starts every day with uh, gratitude, meditation, mindfulness, and my own inner sizes. So I, I developed a whole bunch of, uh, of programs, one for winning the game of fear, one for winning the game of weight loss, one for winning the game of money, one for winning the game of business. Uh, the clients of mine, you know, purchase from all over the world. And so I'm listening to inner sizes every day to alter my subconscious mind and to imprint the the best beliefs, habits, perspectives, um, uh, metaphors that I want to have as part of my subconscious conditioning. And the other thing that I do is I've taken all of my goals and my vision for my life and my story and a couple of prayers, and I've recorded them in my own voice. And every day I listen to them. So not only is it in writing, but I'll listen to it when I wake up um, you know, and I do my meditation in a hypnagogic state, which is just a relaxed alpha brainwave state. And then a lot of times when I'm working, I've got my, uh, my little tripod and mobile phone. I just bang it on. If I'm working on a computer, instead of having music on, I just listen to the stuff that I want to reinforce in my brain. I love that. I love that. And what a, what a powerful ritual to really, anybody can implement that immediately. So thank you for sharing that. John, what's the biggest way that you elevate others around you outside of all that you do? I mean, obviously you give so much value to other people, but is there anything that you'd point to otherwise? Um, I think, you know, many years ago, uh, the story that, that, that comes to my mind, uh, many years ago, uh, there was this woman who brought her child. She waited eight hours uh, to meet Gandhi. And she, she walked, do you know this story? I don't know this one, no. So, so she walked, you know, half a day with her son to meet Gandhi. And she waits eight hours in line to meet Gandhi. And uh, she gets to the line uh, after this trek and this wait. And she says, Gandhi, my son is eating sugar all day, every day. Please tell him to stop. And Gandhi says, come back in one week. So the lady's like, okay, she goes back, goes home, walks home a week later. She walks eight hours, waits eight hours in line again. And she says, Gandhi, last week you told me, you know, uh, to, to go home and come back in a week. Uh, my son's still eating sugar all day, every day. Um, uh, and Gandhi looks at the kid, he goes, stop eating sugar. And, says, <laughs> and she goes, why did you tell me that last week? And he says, because last week I was still eating sugar. So the point that I want to make um, I'm a product of everything that I teach. Uh, I can point to you to things in my life that weren't working, that because I apply what I'm teaching. So 10 years ago, I was 238 pounds, 33% body fat, borderline hypertensive, um, uh, you know, 
all of the uh, all the uh, remnants of stress and living uh, a life that was a little too much in excess on on wine and sugar and all that stuff. And I said, okay, for my 50th birthday, I'm going to take my brain training stuff and I'm going to win the game of weight loss, but I'm going to keep it off. And so I did the research, created a weight loss program, started using it from 48 to 50, um, got to 197 pounds. And this morning I was still 197 pounds and I will be 59 in two weeks. So a long long time, uh, consistency. Uh, I've used what I teach in business, in life, in my relationship with my children. And so I know it works. And so the point is uh, I'm sharing and teaching stuff that I'm also experimenting and using myself. So that's the greatest piece is be the change, right? That you want. And instead of telling people what they should do, do it, like show that it can be done. And that's probably the most, the best gift I could probably give is I'm the guinea pig first. Yeah, that's outstanding. And it's such servant leadership. It's true setting the example. It's being the change that you want to see in others and how inspiring. And thank you for inspiring us today. Thank you for imparting so much wisdom on us. Is there any thought, parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you share with Elevate Nation today? Um, the thing that, you know, I'm, I'm really aware of um is uh, how many people um, don't realize that every day, every moment, every hour, every week, you're trading your life for what you're doing or not doing. And the question that very few people ask themselves, is the trade worth it? Is the trade worth it? Are you doing what you love with who you love, uh, when you love, you know, growing and developing and, and becoming more so you can give more and have more. Um, you know, it's, it, it's uh, the most precious gift of all is life. You know, it's like, it's, it's just, I'm in awe of it every day, but I'm also in awe of how many people squander time. Like, so, so time's your asset. Think, think about life about your time about what what am i doing what am i not doing you know am i moving towards my goals and dreams am i am i focused on am i worthy of the goals or is that goal worthy of my life because you're trading your life for what you're doing Uh, is the trade worth it there comes a point in every woman's and man's life that they look back and jim Rohn said you're either going to look back and regret right or you're going to look back you know out of um, you know, um, happiness. And so do you want to look at your life out of regret where you would have, could have, should have, or you did? Like, which do you want? Like, I refuse to come to my deathbed if I have the option of reflecting, um, saying, why didn't I do that when I could have? I refuse. So I'm prepared to wake up every day. And as Jim Rohn said, pay the price of discipline so I don't have to pay the price of regret. My goodness. My goodness, John. What an amazing way to end the show today. Is the trade worth it? It's a question that I know has changed the life of many people listening to the show today. So let that sink in. Let that change your life today. John, I just couldn't be more grateful for spending time with you today. And obviously, the listeners will be able to find you through the show notes. We'll put links in everywhere how to find 
John. But John, tell the listeners a bit, maybe further, how they can engage with you further. Sure. So my company is myneurogym.com. Uh, and we do a lot of brain research and brain training programs and a lot of free uh, training as well. Um, Instagram, I'm on daily. Uh, Facebook fan page on. Twitter, I'm on. And just on all the social media challenge channels. I love it. And yeah, you're awesome on social media. So you'll definitely want to go follow John there. And I encourage you to re-listen to the show because I know that there is a ton of nuggets of wisdom here. There's a ton of things that you can apply to your life. There's a ton of things that you can really start training your inner game. What can you do to train your mind? What can you do to get off your ass and apply this immediately? At the end of the day, it is about applying. It is about taking massive action. It's also about sharing with others. What can you do to pay this forward? Who do you know who would benefit from listening to this conversation, this life-changing conversation today? So tag them on social media, tag John, tag myself, tag Elevate Podcast and pay it forward. And in the meantime, John, I just want to thank you again for being on the show. Thanks, Tyler. Have an awesome week. You do the same, my friend, and Elevate Nation, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.